I appreciate it. I love that song. So grab your Bibles, open up to the book of Isaiah, chapter 9, and uh, we're going to use just uh, one verse of prophecy uh, uh, this morning uh, concerning Jesus to establish our theme. And it's not the normal prophecy uh, from Isaiah that's generally used around Christmas time. I mean, it was Isaiah the prophet who predicted the virgin birth of Jesus when he said, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. And uh, beyond that, uh, uh, from Isaiah, we also get the famous statement, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. And both those are great verses and, and frequently used in Christmas sermons for obvious reasons. But the verse I want to use uh, this morning is not actually directly tied to the birth of Christ. In fact, uh, the Gospel of Matthew quotes this verse just after the baptism of Jesus and the, and the temptations uh, to describe what his earthly ministry would be like. But I, I think you'll see how it fits in uh, as we go through it this morning. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2 says this, The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in dark land, the light will shine on them. Father God, we thank you for just a great morning of celebration we've been able to have uh, singing some of these uh, classic Christmas carols that uh, tell the story of Christ. And uh, God, we, we pray that as we just uh, focus a little bit more on that this morning, you would encourage our hearts, strengthen us, and uh, prepare us to walk faithfully with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I have discovered over the years that uh, <clears throat> there are basically three types of people when it comes to Christmas songs. First of all, you have those who love them so much that they can hardly wait for the time when it is legitimately acceptable to start listening to them, which uh, for these people is generally considered immediately after Thanksgiving. Uh, some might hold out until the first day of Christmas, or I mean the first day of December, but for most of them, uh, as soon as the leftover turkey is put in the fridge, uh, they feel it's all right to be pulling out the Christmas songs. Uh, my wife would fall into this category. The, the second category uh, of people uh, are those who really don't like Christmas songs at all. And it's not like they're a Scrooge and hate all things Christmas. They're just not big fans of the songs of the season. And they're the kind who can hardly wait until Christmas is over so the radio will go back to playing songs that don't have the word jingle in them and, and uh, they can start singing the regular worship songs at church and, instead of these old Christmas carols. And I've met a few people like that in my life, but I don't think that's a very big group. But they're out there. Uh, the third category, which is the one that I would fall into, is, is the person who, who loves most of the Christmas songs, but just for a short period of time. Um, I mean, I really do like most Christmas songs. I, mean, I, I guess I could do without ever hearing Feliz Navidad again. I could do with that. Uh, not a big fan of uh, I, I Want a Hippopotamus for Christmas. Um, but, but other than that, uh, I, I like most Christmas songs. And, and, of course, when you get to the, the traditional carols, some of them, I think, are very powerful. Probably my favorite Christmas carol in terms of both the music and the meaning is one that was selected this morning, O Holy Night. 
uh, although as Greg noted as they were singing it, the words were changed. You may have noticed there, Avis. Uh, Avis Christensen revised uh, the words from the original. The, the original uh, lyrics uh, happened as, in 1847. Somewhere in the heart of France, a uh, parish priest went to uh, a man with a French name, which I cannot pronounce, and I've never taken French, so I have no idea how this... I'll tell you what it looks like to me. Placidi Capot de Racamoua. Sure, it's something close to that. We'll call him Capo for short. So uh, he was a wine seller by trade, but the parish priest went to him asking, would you write a poem for our Christmas celebration? And he says, yeah, I'll do that. And he wrote out these words. And when he wrote them out, he quickly realized, you know, the, this poem, this needs music set to it. So he went to a friend of his named uh, Adolphe Charles Adams and asked him, would you compose some music to go with this poem? And he agreed. And that is where the song, O Holy Night, came from. And so now for 169 years, we have been singing that song. And I am going to use some of that song as a focus uh, of uh, our message today, the original lyrics, not the revised ones in our hymn book. Uh, the first line of the song, of course, says, O holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth, which is, of course, a beautiful sentiment, but about the only thing we know that is actually factually true from that line is that Jesus was born at night, right? That, that's about all that we, we know for sure. Luke 2.8 says, in the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. Now, that's the only designation we have of, of exactly when Jesus was born. It was nighttime. We don't know whether the stars were shining brightly or whether it was cloudy and overcast. We don't know whether it was cold and they were shivering around their fire or it was hot and muggy and they were trying to catch any little breeze. We have no idea because we don't really know the night on which Jesus Christ was born. The date of uh, December 25th was picked uh, by, by the Roman Catholic Church as a time to celebrate uh, Jesus' birth, primarily out of convenience. I mean, it was back in 336 A.D. Constantine was the emperor of Rome, and he had become a Christian, and so he had legitimized Christianity throughout the Roman Empire. Julius was the pope of the Roman Catholic Church, and they had been uh, trying to get a lot of pagan people to come into the church instead. And, and, and the winter solstice on December 21st was this huge pagan holiday uh, where it pretty much turned into a big drunken orgy and a big party that they would have and this kind of thing. And the church said, well, we need to give them something different, something good to celebrate instead. So they said, we'll just plan the birth of Jesus on a day close to that. and didn't want to have the exact same day, so he picked the 25th. That's how we ended up with Christmas on the 25th. But, you know, just because we don't actually know the date of Jesus' birth, it doesn't mean that it's not something worth celebrating, honoring, and praising. So the next line in the song, though, that uh, helps us to start to see the purpose of Jesus' birth, which is far more important than actually knowing the date. It says this, Long lay the world in sin and error pining. Now, pining is, is not a word we often use nowadays, but it's a good descriptive word. Uh, pining uh, describes the act of wasting away. It means withering, 
deteriorating, languishing, and declining. It's been used to describe a person who is growing worse with sickness and disease and something that is decaying. That's pining. And that's what was happening to this world. It was pining away because of sin and error. And sin is not just, you know, making a mistake. It is a rottenness of the soul that sets a person at enmity with God. Uh, According to the Bible, it brings about death, right? As the prophet uh, Ezekiel said, the soul who sins will die. Every man, every woman, every child in this world has been infected with that disease of sin. And because of that, the whole world was wasting away. Humanity was languishing and caught in the decaying pit of sin. And it would have gone on that way had God not chosen to intervene. But that's exactly what he did. And it's described very simply uh, by the next line of the song, which says, Till he appeared and the Spirit felt its worth. Till he appeared. Pretty simple explanation, isn't it? Only he didn't appear in the way that the world was expecting. Uh, At least not the way that the Jews, who were the ones who were waiting for him and watching for him, were expecting. I mean, they knew all the prophecies concerning his birth. They even knew where he would be born. When the wise men uh, came from the east searching for Jesus, they stopped in Jerusalem because that seemed like a you know, a reasonable place for a king to be born, right? And, and they went to King Herod and, and they asked him, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. Well, Herod, he gathered all the religious leaders together and asked them about it and they knew right away where it was. Uh, they said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet. They knew the scriptures, but they missed it anyway because they were looking for the wrong thing. You see, they were looking for a conquering hero who would free them from Roman oppression. And in their minds, that needed to be somebody who was a somebody. You know what I mean, right? Uh, uh, Somebody would come from a well-known pedigree and an influential family, right? A somebody would have powerful friends and even more powerful family ties. Joseph and Mary were nobodies. I mean, oh yeah, they, they were from the family line of David, but I mean, so were a ton of people in Israel, right? I mean, David, after all, had a lot of kids. And his kids had a lot of kids, and his kids had a lot of kids. And so by the time you get down to Jesus, there were quite a few people that could claim they came from the line of David. It was neat, but it certainly wasn't anything unique. And there were many, a great many, who had much better credentials than Mary and Joseph. And so the religious leaders of Israel the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the lawyers, uh, experts of the law of Moses, they all missed the birth of Christ because they weren't looking for what God was doing. Yet that birth was the turning point of history. The world had been languishing in the grasp of sin and error until he appeared. God came, became a man, to do what no man could do. I mean, how 
would any mere human possibly be able to provide salvation for all mankind? Right? That would be an impossibility for any simple man. Fortunately, as the angel told Mary when he was explaining that she would become pregnant even though she was a virgin, he said, for nothing will be impossible with God. Man could not save man, but God could. However, God would need to become a man to save man because the penalty for sin for man had to be paid by a man. Do you follow all that? He came as a humble, poor baby to lowly parents. A stepdad who had to take it by faith that the word of the angel was true and Mary was pregnant because of the supernatural power of God. A young mother who was given the burden of raising a child that she knew was going to be unlike any other person who ever walked the face of the earth. Jesus would do the impossible. He would bring God's gift of grace and forgiveness of sins and salvation to man. And once again, when he did that, just like his birth, it would be in a way that no one was expecting. I mean, even the disciples who believed in Jesus were shocked and and were taken by surprise at God's method for bringing about salvation. I mean, let alone the Jewish religious leaders who had already uh, rejected Jesus as a fraud. See, these people had expected the Messiah to, to lead a charge of war against the seen and tangible enemy of Rome. But instead, they saw him stagger to Calvary under the weight of a cross. They expected him to shout battle cries But instead, in the anguish of death throes, he shouted, It is finished. They wanted him to announce the inauguration of his royal court, and instead he announced, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. It was also very different than what the people were expecting. So different than what people today expect of a Savior, isn't it? I wonder if that might not be the reason why so many people miss what God has done, just like so many people missed what He did when Jesus first came. It's different, but it's exactly what we needed, which is why, of course, the next line in the song is filled with hope. It says, A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. You see, for those who see and accept what Jesus Christ has done, it fills your soul with hope. Not a wishful thinking kind of hope, but a sure and certain expectation of what God has done and will do because of Jesus Christ. And that's why the next line of the long song says, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. How much more glorious can it be than having your sins forgiven and receiving the free gift of eternal life? That 
is our glorious future. Even though we may have to tread through some painful times here on earth. But the hardships here cannot dampen the thrill of hope that fills our soul because our hope is secured by Jesus Christ. Do you know, that's, that's why I'm basically an optimist at heart. I mean, I know and I understand that not everything in this world is going to go my way or work out uh, to my benefit. I get that. Uh, and the day may come and may come sooner than... Turn the pulpit mic on. There we go. Uh, the, I, I know that the day may uh, come that I would hear from the doctor, I'm sorry, there's nothing we can do. Or perhaps uh, things will happen and all my retirement savings will disappear. Or maybe there's something waiting right around the corner for me, something I can't see now that will completely change my life. I truly believe that the Bible teaches that suffering and hardship, tribulation and trials should be the expectation for believers, not an exception to the rule. And there's nothing that says that, that me or any other believer should be exempt from that. I get all of that. So I'm not an optimist in the sense that I believe that everything's just going to be hunky-dory for me here on earth. I'm an optimist because I know 100% absolutely for sure that ultimately everything is going to be okay. In fact, it is going to be more than just okay. It is going to be awesome because eternally my place in heaven has been secured by Jesus Christ and has become mine simply by faith in him. I can't earn it. There's no way I'll ever be worthy of it. It's mine because God gave it to me as a gift, just as he gave the very first gift of Jesus Christ. And he's given it to you as well, to all who will receive it. And the new and glorious morn can be yours as well as mine, as well as anybody who believes. And I think that there's only one proper and acceptable response to that truth. Fall on your knees. Only praise and adoration and thanksgiving. When I was younger, I didn't really get the the, I'm not a big fan of poetry. I think I've mentioned that before. So I'm not real good at interpreting these things. And I didn't even understand. He goes on, fall on your knees. And my expected next line would be something of, you know, praising and honoring God. But he says, oh, hear the angel chorus. And I'm like, what? He goes on this. But what were the angels singing? Praise to God. That's the only proper response for us in what Jesus Christ has done. Adoration. Honor worthiness because he has given all so that our sins could be forgiven and we could be made fit for heaven.
that's why that's an old holy night. Let's pray. Father God, we do thank you for the gift of Jesus Christ. We thank you that you would provide salvation for us, a people who were wasting away in sin. But God, you have given us the opportunity to have clean hearts and clean hands through Jesus Christ. God, we pray that we would always be filled with praise and overflowing with adoration for you because of what you have done. May we never take it for granted. May we never shirk it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. It was a different ending than I thought it would be, so I picked a different song than I'm going to pick now. How can we not leave this place by giving God all glory because of how great he is? It's page 16.